The following was recorded live as part of homeschool.com's 2005 homeschooling teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. Okay, let's get started. Uh, my name is Rebecca Kokenderfer. I'm the senior editor and uh, co-founder of homeschool.com, and I'll be your host for this interview. Uh, coming up this next hour, we have the great honor and privilege of speaking with Robert and Kim Kiyosaki. Uh, Robert is the author of the very popular international bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a book of series and also the Cash Flow Games. Uh, in Robert's words, we go to school to learn to work hard for money. I write books and create products to teach people how to have money work hard for them. Then they can enjoy the luxuries of this great world we live in. So thank you very much, Robert, and welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, is this loud enough? Yes, it is. I think so. And Kim, can we hear your voice? Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kim. How are you? Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Uh, my first question is for you, Kim, so try to put your mouth as close to the speaker as you can. All right. So, Kim, why is it so important, in your opinion, that women take charge of their own finances? And well, that's are you... a really good question, and I think the best way I can answer it is that... Uh... There's a lot of statistics out there that really support, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent for getting women into the, into the game of investing and in the world of investing. And let me just give you some statistics that were pretty shocking to me. And these are um, from America. It says that in the U.S., 47% of women over the age of 50 are single, meaning that they're responsible for their financial well-being. And a lot of us have heard the statistics that one out of two marriages end in divorce and who usually ends up with the kids is the woman, so she's now responsible for herself and her kids. And also, the first year after a divorce, a woman's standard of living drops 73%. And there's a lot of statistics about the elderly. Three out of four of the elderly living in poverty are women. Um, statistics show that 80% of women who are living in poverty, of the elderly women, they were not poor when they were married or when their husband was alive. So all of these statistics tell me that women, we are, have not been prepared and we're not prepared to take care of ourselves financially. And the world has changed so much with divorce, with um, job situations. It's changed so much that there's got to be another way for women to start taking care of themselves. Do you manage your own finances, this. Kim? Yes. So what do you suggest then for women to become more involved in the day-to-day -day money issues of their lives? Well, it, it really, you know, it has the Rich Dad Company. It's all about education. And I guess the first step is for women to figure out, you know, it's easy to say because one of the biggest objections is, and especially for women, I don't have time. You know, a lot of us are juggling career, kids, family. So you've really got to find out deep down why do you want to even make the effort and take the time because it will take time and it will take education. So what is that reason, you know, I just want to make more money isn't going to motivate me to, you know, get up early and, and do what I need to do. But what is it for me? I, I, hate, I hate being told what to do. I was fired twice from my first job. I hate being told what to do. And I really value my freedom. Now, of course, and, you're one of the founders of the Rich Dad Company, and you're a speaker, and you're an investor in your own right. Correct, correct. So even though your husband makes plenty of money, per se, you still have been taking charge of your own finances and directing your own investments. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because very per something very personal to me is 
um, this company, but more importantly, our company before this, we built it all around Robert as the celebrity, which was definitely the right move. It's his story. It's his vision. Um, and there was one day where I realized that for any reason, if Robert and I were to split up, I not only lose the marriage, I lose my business. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I realized how dependent I had become. And even though, you know, the marriage was great, the business was great, what if something happened? And so that got me thinking, and it was actually Robert who said, it's time you start investing. Well, that's excellent. You know, let's talk a little bit now um, with both of you, uh, running through general business principles and your advice for uh, men as well as women. So, uh, Robert, uh, many homeschoolers are self-employed or want to be. What are the advantages of working from your home or in creating your own business? Uh, reason number one is taxes. As you may know, that the tax laws are not fair, and if you're an employee, then you're working for what's called earned income, and earned income is the highest of all tax income. By working from home, you actually have the tax advantages of the rich, and as we all know, taxes are our single largest expense. Like in my, if I was taking my income as income. I'd be in the 50% bracket. That means 50 cents of every dollar I earn goes to the federal government or federal or state governments. So that's, that's reason number one for me is because I'd rather keep my money rather than turn it over to the government. Did you, you hear that? Yes, I'm sorry. I got dropped off the line there for a moment. So that, that's reason number one. And then one, if you can survive on your own, then you don't really need a job again. Well, let's talk then about the difference between being self-employed and compare that with creating a business, since many homeschoolers either have their own businesses or are self-employed. Self-employed basically means that you own the job. Uh, like a doctor is often self-employed. A um, consultant is self-employed. What that means is if they stop working, their income stops also, and I think that's what scares a lot of people. A, my, my rich dad taught me to be an entrepreneur, and an entrepreneur has other people do their job for them. So the reason that Kim and I have so much free time is that we were taught not to be the ones that did the work, but to create the company where people are, can afford to survive and work, you know, things like that. Of course, you have that excellent example if you have the quadrant where you have a, an addition sign, a cross on a page, and on the top left-hand quadrant you have employee, and underneath that, you have self-employed. And on the top right-hand side, you have business owner. And on the bottom right, you have investor. And your advice is you're trying to educate us to move to the right-hand side of that caught quadrant, away from being self-employed to owning a business and being an investor. Why is that so important? Well, I, I, again, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm talking to homeschoolers, is that our school system was designed to create people who were employees or self-employed. That's the school system. And that way, you were trained to work for the rich. On the B and the I side, the right side of the quadrant, that's where the rich operate. So for me, is I didn't want to work for the rich. I wanted to be rich. And in order to do that, I needed the education and the skills to operate on the B and the I side. You know, that's why you hear so many people say today, go to school so you can get a good job. That's the E quadrant. People are being brainwashed and programmed to be employees of the rich. Or what, or what other people say is, you know, be sure you have a profession to fall back on, like become a doctor or an electrician or a plumber. That's the S quadrant. So most people go to school 
and they learn to work for money. On the B and the I side, your skills are you have to learn to have people work for you and other people's money work for you. And they're very different skills and very different mindsets. And unfortunately, only about 5% of the population has the mindset of the B and the I side. So that's why I, uh, you know, homeschoolers have a shot at least of educating their children to be B's and I's who, rather than E's and S's. That's the point. One of the principles you talk about in all of the Rich Dad uh, books and in the cash flow games and the Rich uh, Dad games is the idea of passive income. I'd never even heard that phrase before until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So why is passive income so important? Uh, one more word, taxes. <laughs> now, when you say to a child, go to school to get a job, or you say to somebody, you know, go to school to become a doctor, you're training them to work for earned income. There's three kinds of income according to Internal Revenue Service. There's earned income, there's portfolio income, and there's passive income. In the very simple terms, earned income is you physically working for money, and that's the most highly taxed, again, 50% of your income goes to earned income. As an investor, I learned to work for portfolio income, which is taxed at 15%, and passive income, which is income that can be taxed at 0%. So one of the reasons the rich get richer is they don't work for money. They have their money work for them. And the Internal Revenue Service wants rich people and so they incentivize them to have money work hard for them. And to me, that makes more sense. That's one reason. And number two, if I have passive income, I don't have to go to work. For example, my wife and I, and we're not Donald Trump by any means, but whether we work or not, every month we have about $300,000 in passive income coming in at very low tax rates. Because we're not Donald Trump, but that's about $3.5, $4 million a year without working. So to me, that makes more sense than working hard and then putting your money in a 401k. And the reason a 401k is really a bad investment plan is, again, once again, it's you're, you're saving money for earned income. So and if you want to be financially... It's the highest tax income there is. When you put money in the bank as a saver, once again, that interest is taxed at the earned income rate. And that's what the rich do not tell the poor and the middle class, simply because, you know, the golden rule... He who has the goal makes the rules, and the rich have set the rules up so that they have all the tax advantages, and the people that go to school and are programmed to become employees or professional people like doctors pay the lion's share of their income in taxes. So, so what you're saying then, if you're living off of earned income, that means you have to always go to work, either in your own business or into someone else's business, to receive a paycheck to pay your bills. And if you have passive income, then that money is coming in from uh, a rental income, investment income, royalties from books or music that you may have done. And that uh, money comes in even if you're vacationing in Hawaii. So the true goal then, Robert, it's not necessarily to become a millionaire. The big financial goal then is to have enough passive income, pay for your monthly expenses, and then you're really free. That's correct. That's the ideal scene. When my wife and I retired 10 years ago, uh, all we had was $10,000 a month coming in from our real estate investments. And our, and our expenses monthly were 3000 That left us a net of seven. But the other thing, again, I'll say is the taxes were almost nil on $10,000. Whereas if I was working for a company at 10000 a month, 50% or 5000 would go to taxes. 
So the money you earn from passive sources goes a lot further. We interviewed uh, Sharon Lecter, your business partner and co-author, on Monday, and she had some excellent ideas on um, how to create passive income sources for adults and also for children. Um, so people have missed her live interview, but they can uh, purchase the recording at homeschool.com slash preorder. So, Robert, uh, then people have so many worries and fears around money. Uh, one of my favorite quotes of yours is, never say, I can't. Instead, ask, how can I? Right. Um, one, of the, one of the things my rich dad taught me when I was a little kid was that he said, poor people say, I can't afford it more than rich people. And the reason that's such a, uh, a horrible thing to say is that from my Sunday school days, I'm, I'm not that religious, but I do remember Sunday school, and they always said the word becomes flesh. And what my rich dad said to me, if you say you can't afford it, you have the mindset of a poor person. And that's why he forbade his son and me from ever saying I can't afford it. He says the moment you say that, you're basically a lazy individual who has stopped thinking. So it's very easy to say, I can't afford it or I don't have the time. You know, basically, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's what makes you poor or incompetent. If you're going to be successful, say, how can I afford it or how can I do it? And the moment you say that, you engage your brain, which is your greatest asset of all, and your brain then has to go to work and think. If you say, I can't afford it or I can't do it, your brain just goes to sleep and then you don't learn anything more. And that's, I think, very, you know, it's the basis of education and wealth creation and health creation is basically your attitude. How do you use your mind to either create wealth and health or use your mind to create poverty and, you know, bad, uh, bad health? So the mind is the most powerful tool there is and it's very important that, you know, parents teach their children how to use their mind. For example, my poor dad, you know, he was a Ph.D., the head of education for the state of Hawaii, but he constantly said, I can't afford it. You think money grows on tea trees? I'm only a school teacher. You know, I don't make much money. And it was those words, the words become flesh, that caused him to be poor. It closes so the door, the lessons, then. Some of the most valuable basic lessons my rich dad taught me. You and I first met years ago when you had just written, If you want to be rich and happy, don't go to school. Do you really believe that? Hey. Could you hear me, Robert? Uh, do I really believe that? Yes. In other words, you wrote the book. One of your first books was, If You Want to Be Rich and Happy, Don't Go to School. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I had a child, I wouldn't send them to school. I'd homeschool them. And the reason for that is you know, I'm coming out with a new book sometime in December or January. It's called Teach and Grow Rich. And in there, I do one chapter on why, you know, guys like John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie basically hijack education between 1900 and 1920. And what they did was that they wanted to make sure that they trained employees to work hard for them. So the purpose of the school system, in all these school systems we know now, was not to train people to be happy, self-fulfilled artists or, you know, free expression people. The purpose of education was very simply one thing to create employees to work for guys like John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie. And in the in my book is a quote by not only R. Buckminster Fuller, one of the greatest minds of our time, who said the same thing. My poor dad, a school teacher, said the same thing, but also John Taylor Gatto, 
New York State Teacher of the Year says the same thing, that the school system back in the 1900s was hijacked outside of public scrutiny and nobody told the public what they were doing with your kids' minds. That book is coming, Teach and Grow Rich, will be coming out this fall? Uh, in December or January. Robert, your voice is so soft, there's a bit of a delay. Would you mind picking up the handset? Okay. And then when we have a question for Kim, I'll, I'll warn you so you can hand the handset to her. Okay, how's that? Oh, that's better. So if you would, just kind of scream, and we have so many hundreds of people on the line, right. just kind of scream into the mouthpiece. You mentioned that you have Teach and Grow Rich coming out this fall, but I understand you have another new book coming out next month. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, the new book is uh, called Before You Quit Your Job, and uh, it's the first book that explains how you prepare yourself to quit your job <laughs> so you can become an entrepreneur. In there, there's 10 real-life lessons that I learned along the way you know, and starting my first businesses. And, you know, I started the nylon and Velcro surfer wallet business, and then I worked for the rock bands Duran Duran and Iron Maiden, Van Halen, Judas Priest, and then, you know, now Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm a, the reason Rich Dad, Poor Dad is successful is because I'm not a writer, first and foremost, an entrepreneur. No, I love your cash flow games, cash flow kids, cash flow 101, and uh, so do my children. What other products and books do you have that can help us to take charge of our finances? Well, part of Teach and Grow Rich, I'm going to create a uh, program for people to teach other people using my cash flow games for cash flow clubs of how to teach other people about the financial management, how to convert earned income into portfolio and passive income, uh, how to find great investments, but most importantly, to not get sucked in by these financial planners who are selling mutual funds. In my experience, the 401k, as I, as I said, you're, you're putting money in and you're being taxed at the earned income level. That doesn't make sense to me as an investor. They're also the most riskiest of all investments. And I know that upsets a lot of people, but just ask your banker this, you know, if mutual funds are so safe, why doesn't your banker lend you millions of dollars to buy mutual funds? And the reason is because the banker thinks they're too risky. Or ask your insurance agent if your insurance agent would, would, lend, would insure your 401k against catastrophic loss. And again, the answer is no, because they're too risky. Yet because so many people have a very limited financial education, they listen to a financial planner who tells them to work hard, save money, get out of debt, invest, invest in the long term in mutual funds, and diversify. When you read Teach and Grow Rich, you'll find out why those words, work hard, save money, get out of debt, invest for the long term, and diversify, is the worst financial advice you can be given. So that's what that's what that's that's where I'm going with my little uh, company, is to really start to teach people what my rich dad taught me. Well, that's excellent, Robert. You're making such a difference in the world, and Kim and Sharon as well. Robert, I want to try to open up the call. We have so many people on there, but I know that they would really enjoy asking you their own questions and connecting with you personally. This is such a nice opportunity. But before we do, do you have any other um, final words of advice for us? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you guys are homeschooling. I, I really commend you. Um, I think when you read what John Taylor Gatto said about what school was doing to kids' brains, I think you'll be grateful yourself. It's a very courageous move, what you're doing. And, you know, you're going above and beyond the call of duty because uh, I don't have any children. Uh, my wife has one, me, to take care of. <laughs> so I really do commend you because it's a very important role and a very responsible role, responsible role you've taken over, taken on. 
because, like I said, back in the 1900s and 1920s, the educational system was hijacked by the rich, and the purpose was to take your child's minds and train them into E's and S's to work for the B's and I's, the rich. That's what they train them to do, and then have them invest in shaky investments like a 401k and mutual funds, as well as save money. And another thing, too, is what you'll find out in my book, you know, Teach and Grow Rich, is that in 1971, the U.S. dollar stopped being money, and it became a currency. And the problem with saving a currency is that currencies are designed to lose value. So you, you, don't, you don't get ahead by saving money anymore. And that's why the people like me who are, you know, proactive investors can make millions of dollars, while the other person who's following the advice of work hard, save money, get out of debt, invest for the long term, and diversify are losing millions of dollars. So that's why your own personal education is important, simply because the rich hijacked education back in the 1900s. And we've talked before, too, how in the industrial age, um, the go-to-school model was working well because the idea was go to school, get a good job, stay there for your entire life, and then you would retire from the company's money or on Social Security. But that now how we're in the information age, that that industrial age model is no longer working. Yeah, neither is neither the pension plans. Like, look at General Motors and even Ford. For the first time, their bonds are rated as junk bonds. And as they say, you know, so goes G- as goes GM, so goes America. And there's millions of workers right now who are counting on their pensions that may not be there. And in three years, 2008, the first baby boomer officially begins to retire, and there's approximately 75 million of us. So if you look at Social Security, it starts to have to, starts to have to pay a thousand dollars per 75 million retirees, baby boomers, that means the monthly bill at $1,000 a month is $75 billion a month. The Social Security cannot cover that. And what that means is that your children will have to pay another like 20 or 40% of their income on, on top of the 50% to pay for the old guys my age who need retirement. So this whole system is based upon an industrial age idea and in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down and the World Wide Web went up, the industrial age officially ended and the information age began. So that's why it's so important what uh, you know homeschool.com is doing. So I appreciate what, all your efforts. So how are we going to educate our children then, for Robert and for Kim, to prepare themselves to succeed in the information age? Well, that's why Rich Dad has a uh, curriculum on the website, richkidsmartkid.com. We also have electronic games and a curriculum, and it gives the young children, it makes them fun. You know, I don't go into the depth I go into to adults, but it makes them fun, and it gives, makes them start to realize that they can take control of their finances. They know the difference between an asset and a liability. See, most people think their house is an asset or their car is an asset. That's not true. If you can read a financial statement, for most people, their house is actually a liability, and so is their car a liability. So why would people call your house an asset and all this, a car an asset? Because it's not your asset, it's the bank's asset. And so those are the things that the financial institutions, the bankers of the world, have not wanted the average person to know. So let's give, let's give our listeners some concrete then, uh, advice and steps that they can take. So a uh, number one that I assume would be, uh, take a look at your finances. Um, I, I do this regularly with my own family and I use the uh, income and liability statement from the cash flow game. Right, that's a good start. 
Yes, and so take, so would you advise us then to take a look at what are your assets, what money is coming into your life, and where, how much money is going out of your life? Right, an asset is very, my, my rich, they give me a very simple definition. Assets put money in your pocket whether you work or not. So for my wife and I, we've been married almost 20 years now, in that time we we have $300,000 a month coming in every month whether we work or not. And my goal is to make it a million a month. And it's really easy to do, very simply, because I don't spend that much money. I just keep reinvesting my cash flow. And it, so we started with nothing 10, 20 years ago, and now it's not because it's not Donald Trump's money, but we can live on that. So you just start with that, but it begins with knowing assets from liabilities, again, those words and vocabulary, know the difference, and understand a financial statement. Do you realize that most people do not know what a financial statement is? Yet when you go to a bank, you know, your bank has, my banker has never once asked me for my report card. My banker has never asked me if I had good grades or what school I went to. What a banker asks you for is your financial statement because they want to see your financial IQ. And most people have no idea what a financial statement is. When the banker looks at their, if you say to a banker, I don't have a financial statement, then they have you fill out a credit application. And the moment they do that to you, you pay a higher interest rate. So step number one, then, is take a look at your uh, current finances and find out where you are. I suspect most people will probably discover that they um, are in debt, yeah, that they yeah. have well, more money going bad. out than they have coming in. Yeah, debt's not bad as long as there's good debt and bad debt, okay? Debt's not like I'm millions of dollars in debt, but that debt makes me rich. Most people are in debt, but that debt makes them poor. So it really knows, it starts with understanding income expenses, assets, and liabilities. Really simple. You read it in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You get the basic model. You know, that book was written for a nine-year-old kid. I think that's why it sold 23 million copies. But it's a very simple book on the basis of financial literacy, and it's really literacy is what we're after. And I love the cash flow game, too, because as you've said, when you're playing the game, uh, your your brain doesn't realize that it's just playing a game. And so you get comfortable dealing with these large numbers and making these investment decisions. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, my wife uses the term all the time. It's just a game. And I look at life, my investments, as a game. Sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, but every time we get smarter. And unfortunately, those who have been brainwashed by the financial system to just turn your money over to these so-called experts at mutual funds, that means you learn nothing. I mean, that's the worst crime of just turning your money over, investing to the, for the long term in mutual funds, is you don't learn anything. You just learn how to be a stooge. Passing your money, passing the buck to somebody else who doesn't is not any smarter than you are. There is living proof. There is statistics that show that not one so-called mutual fund expert has beaten the S and P 500 consistently. I mean, they don't know any more than you, but yet they're charging you a fee to manage your money. I don't mind the fee part. What I do mind is you learn nothing, because most people know nothing and they're afraid of making a mistake. So that's my way. My wife always says, you know, start really small. Her first investment was a $45,000 house. She put $5,000 down, and she made $25 a month. Today, she's doing multi-million dollar deals because the process is the same. It's just a number of zeros went up, and that's what we encourage. And that's why I really didn't like schools because they punish you for making mistakes. Yet the only way we learn is by making mistakes. I learned to ride a bicycle make mistakes, and I flew from the Marine Corps. I, I made a lot of mistakes until I became a good pilot. The same thing with investing. I made a lot of mistakes until I became a proficient investor. 
I love one of your uh, quotes is, who said you get to win all the time? When someone had said that they'd had an investment and it went sour, you're like, well, gosh, I expected out of ten of my investments, seven or eight of them. I mean, seven or eight are going to be good and two might be bad. Yeah, and guess what? I learn more from the bad investments, you know, because that makes me smarter. And that's the attitude. It's 90% at Most people are so afraid of making a mistake. Oh, what if I lose some money? That they turn their money over to experts, like put it in the bank, or to a mutual fund, and then they, they, what they lose out on is they lose out on their education. Which is why kids are so good with money, too, is because they don't have the, the fears. Yeah, the fear that's been drummed in by the adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the cash flow game lets you, you know, have a good time playing with paper money, as well as learning the basics of investing, as well as understanding how a financial statement works. Because a financial statement is the key. Income expenses, assets, and liabilities, that is the key. So then one of the next steps then, then we've analyzed our current expenses, and then we want to start thinking about uh, trying to move into the right-hand side of the quadrant, uh, turning our um, work into a, a business. And your definition of a true business is that you can walk away from it and it still continues to bring in income. Is That's that correct. correct? That's correct. And then I suppose the third step then is uh, you know, raising our children, and sometimes we'll do for our children what we wouldn't do for ourselves, so teaching them about uh, doodads. I, I love your word doodads. You know, do you really want to spend your money on, you know, or do you want to use credit cards for doodads, or do you want to use debt only for investments? Well, the thing is, uh, uh, the beauty of a game, of the cash flow game, is as a kid's having fun, every time they buy a doodad, the game punishes them. So you don't have to tell them anything. The game punishes them. And so many adults have told me that there was one thing their child got is the negative value of like hundred dollar sneakers or the new sunglasses or the or the cappuccino, you know, or whatever the kids spend their money on, and that's why kids will go to the shopping center. And, and one mother said to me, "It's now really a pain because the kid always says to me, Mom, don't buy that. That's a doodad." And the kid is now thinking, the child is now thinking about investing versus wasting their money on doodads. And instead of just giving our children then, uh, training them to think, okay, they see something that they want, asking the question, what can I do to earn the money to afford that? And Sharon had talked about how important delayed gratification is as well, since we live in a world where there's instant gratification all the time. Yeah, that's correct, and that's why I said my wife has one child, and that's me, because I'm definitely into instant gratification. <laughs> well, it seems and, to be working well for you. Yeah, and, and the reason is is because I know how to make money. I, I don't... You know, I, I train myself to do that. So anything I want, I can go make the money. And my rich dad trained me to do that when I was nine years old, just playing Monopoly. Nearly 50 years ago, we would sit down and play Monopoly by the hour, you know. And I said, why are you doing this? He says, because the formula for great wealth is found on this game board. And we all know the formula. Four red houses, one red hotel. And that was it. And I went, is that what you do? Because that's all you have to do to be rich. I went, I can do that. And the reason I'm a rich man today is because of that silly little game my rich dad played with me. Now, the cash flow game is a little bit more sophisticated one step up because my rich dad did teach me more than just Monopoly. On the other side of it, I would go home to my school teacher dad, and I'd say, let's play, let's play Monopoly, and he'd say, put that stupid game away and do your homework. <laughs> so there was two different points of view on it, you know. Now, I provided a link over to your website in the email that I sent out to our listeners, but let's give them to them again. So it's www.richdad.com. Right. And also uh, richkidsmartkid.com. Right. The Rich Kid Smart Kid is the one that provides the 
curriculum and the games for people, especially homeschoolers. So, and they can order books either through Amazon.com or through RichDad.com. That's correct. Well, that's excellent. Well, Robert, let's open up the call and take some live questions. Okay. So, callers, um, uh, we have so many hundreds of people on the line. Uh, noise control is important, so please uh, mute out your phone. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to push is to use the mute button on your phone, or if you don't have a mute button, push star six. That will mute out your phone, and then press star six to come out, ask your question, and then star six to go back out. So we'll just go back and forth here. And Robert, the way this will work too to help everybody hear them is. Um, We'll go in, we'll hear the question, and then we'll go back into this quiet mode. I'll repeat the question, and then we can hear your answer. Okay. Okay, here we go. Question. Thank you. We can hear you. First question. Um, I currently have a 401k plan, and I is there any advice that he can give me as far as where to direct that to now instead of mutual funds? Thank you. Let, let me repeat that, Robert. She has a 401k question. plan, and she was wondering if you have any ad advice as to where she can redirect that. Yeah, my answer to that is, I would, before you do anything, I would really, you know, invest in your financial education because um, just moving it out is not any safer. 401ks are are excellent for employees and for people who know nothing about money. They try to make it as simple as possible people who are brain dead. So unless you have some degree of sophistication, I would stay in the 401k. I know I sound like John Kerry speaking on both sides of my mouth, but I just point out to you why I don't have a 401k plan. Number one, earned income. Number two, lousy investment. But if you don't have the sophistication or the skills, then stay in it until you get the sophistication and skills, until you know what to do with your money. See, my problem is is that the financial industry has has trained people to think that they're not smart and you need an expert to handle your money. That is completely inaccurate. Yet, if you're going to move your money, you need to be an expert at something. So my wife, her expertise is real estate. You know, she started with little dinky houses and now she does multi-million dollar projects. But a person needs to find out what you're interested in and get some basic information before you move out of what was designed as a product that is better than nothing. And that's what I recommend first. Thank you. Let's take another question. question. Okay, excuse me. Next question, please. Um, my question is, uh, in creating passive income... Where's the one that was open? I'm sorry. Excuse me. Be sure to mute your phone, please. Star 6 to mute your phone. Thank you. There's a mom talking to her children. I know you probably think that you're in mute mode and it's hard to tell, so go to star to six. There we go. Would you ask your question again, sir? Yes. Uh, in creating passive income, I'm curious as to whether you would focus on uh, on one particular item, say real estate, or would you focus on multiple items like real estate and uh, maybe a networking business also? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I believe in focusing on one thing, and I only I only do one thing. And what FOCUS stands for, the acronym, you might want to write this down. I got this from a winner's camp in Hawaii is where they teach children, young young people, life skills. And they, they focus on focus. And focus to them stands for follow one course until successful. And I, I strongly recommend that because when I started in real estate, I made mistakes for years 
until one day, it's like riding a bicycle, then one day I knew it. I could do it. I wasn't that good at it yet, but I knew I could do it. It's like riding a bicycle. You know, one day I'm falling down, the next day I can ride. And so that's why I recommend focusing. And after I learned real estate, then I focused on net, not a network marketing business, but then I focused on becoming an entrepreneur. And that was in the 70s when I started the nylon and Velcro surfer wallet business that made me a multimillionaire for about six months, and then the business crashed. And as I said, you know, I learned from the mistakes. I learned more from bailing myself out of that crash, even though I lost my real estate investments. But I learned more from those mistakes, and I became a better entrepreneur and an investor. So focus. Choose one thing and do it until successful. So you believe in multiple streams of income, but no. setting up one at a time. Yeah, just I don't believe in diversification. That's the worst thing you can do. I believe in focus. Excellent. I focus really intensely. And I don't like buying a lot of things. I just buy one good investment. If it's not good, I shoot it, buy something else. So uh, it's focus. Follow one co- course until successful. Thank you. Let's a lot take of another. do is they quit before they become successful. Thank you. Let's take another question, Robert. Yeah. Another question. Hi, I have a question. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, I, I have an eight-year-old child, and he's very creative with his mind as far as wanting to get into his own business and uh, <laughs> selling products or candies and whatnot. Yeah. He says hello. And um, I wanted to know, though, how can he create passive income as opposed to, you know, because you said passive income is like if you stop doing what you're doing, you're still creating um, income. But selling, to me doesn't create um, passive income. So what is it that he can do? Robert, let me repeat, I, I, Robert, let me repeat that question. I, I, it's such I, I, an excellent one. I don't think our um, caller, you could hear it, but I don't think some of our callers oh, okay. could. Uh, she has a son who's really good at selling things, and he has a candy business, and she wants to raise him uh, to help him create a business rather than just being self-employed. So what is, what is your response to that? Any ideas for her? Well, first of all, keep encouraging the young person because when he goes to school, it'll be discouraged. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, it doesn't really make a difference. It's a progressive thing. So the most important thing that child is learning is how to sell. If you can sell, you're financially free. It's the most important skill. Then from there, he or she needs to leverage. And my friend has an 11-year-old son who started the same way. He started about seven. He started selling candy. And he realized he was working hard but going nowhere. So then he negotiated with his dad at age 11 to buy a gumball machine. And so today, this young young child, 11 years old, has I think five or seven hundred gumball machines spread out throughout through his town in Australia, and the young guy is making fourteen thousand dollars a month. In other words, he's making nearly three times more than the school teachers are. And he understands now passive income just from his gumball machines. The hard thing, though, is keeping the kid in school. Any other specific advice for parents who want to help their children create businesses? No, just let them do that. They, they, they need to learn how to sell first. You'd be surprised that if you cannot sell your, your life, you're trapped. You know, sales is the most important skill. That's why I support network marketing businesses because a network marketing business will train you to overcome your fear, your doubt, and your poor communication skills to learn how to sell. That's great for adults. But a child wanting to sell, please encourage them. I don't care if they sell comic books or, you know, seeds, you know, tomato seeds door to door, they're learning how to communicate well. And I wouldn't worry too much about the money. What's most important are the skills. Thank you. Let's take another question. 
Thank you, Carla. That was an excellent question. Next question, please. I have a question. Uh, is it really that we're in a housing bubble? I'm sorry, could you say that again? Um, is it really that we're in a housing bubble at the moment? Uh, but her question is, is it true that we are in a housing bubble right now? Uh. Yes, we are. It's the biggest financial bubble in the history of the world. It's the biggest. And it's not a housing bubble. It's a currency bubble. And the reason it's a currency bubble is because the federal government, as well as the Japanese government and the Chinese government, have printed so much money that people, as money flooded the market, started with Y2K, and the money flooded into the market. It kept dropping the rates after 9-11. And this money is sloshing all over the place, but it's not real money. So that's why people are running into uh, things like the stock market and real estate trying to move this money. There is so much money. I mean, if you haven't made a couple of million dollars in the last month, you missed out on the biggest boom in history. Now, the problem with all bubbles is they burst. And as soon as people realize that the U.S. dollar is not worth what it's worth, that's when it will start to come down, which is not too, too long away. So that's why I don't like speculating in real estate. I buy speculating in real estate. I buy a lot of real estate, but it's got a cash flow. So that's basically my answer. Uh, you can go to my website and you can see my uh, article on all booms bust. And I also quote the Economist magazine in there. So this is a big one. And the good news is every time the market's bust, it's the best time to get rich. You know, when the stock market has a crash, or the real estate market has a crash, that's like you know Macy's or Dillard's having a sale. And the trouble is, the consumers run away. You know, consumers will run into Macy's when they have a sale, but when the stock market or the real estate market has a sale, they run away from it. It's really silly behavior. So when you buy real prices. estate, you don't uh, buy it at a loss, hoping that the uh, price will go up. No. You make sure that it has a positive cash flow from the very beginning. In about ninety percent of my investments, yeah. If it doesn't put money in my pocket today, I don't buy it. I don't count on tomorrow. Do you advise that people purchase real estate out of state, or should they just keep it in their local area where no, they can control estate, it better? If you, haven't, if you haven't bought real estate, you should stay within a five-mile radius of your house because real estate will cause you lots of problems. Real estate is a management issue. But the reason I like it is my banker will give me as much money as I want to buy it. So the key is to can you identify a good piece of real estate. If you can, bankers will line up to give you the money. And that's the best thing about it, because I don't like saving money. I'd rather use my bank's money. And you have real estate investments, and you invest in the stock market, and, of course, you've created products that bring in passive income. That's correct. I call it, you know. But in the stock market, even that, I don't invest in stocks. They're my stocks. I mean, I, own, I, I took the company's public. Ah, okay. I, I am an entrepreneur. And when I was nine years old, like that woman calling in about an eight-year-old son, if you play the cash flow game, you'll see that the overall objective is to train your child to be the next Bill Gates or a erotic type. <laughs> Before we open up for another question, would, do, do you think Kim would mind coming on and giving women some final advice, too? Uh, I think that's a great idea. Here she is. Hello. Hi, Kim. We're opening up for some questions. Okay. And so we're wondering if you could give us some final words of advice for women and also take some questions about women and finances. Oh, be happy to. Be happy to. Um, you know, I, I travel all over the world and I speak to women one-on-one -on -one and they they have the same questions, they have the same issues, but the silliest thing I hear them say is, I'm not smart enough when it comes to investing. And I don't think I can, I don't have, I don't think that way or it's all, it's all mystery to me. And I was having dinner with a girlfriend of mine the other night and she says, you know, I'm, 
I'm just so intimidated by all the jargon. And I went, that's exactly where women think they're not smart enough. It's just a matter, Robert mentioned it, vocabulary. It's just jargon. And all of these, quote, experts are spewing out all this jargon, whether it's real estate or stocks or whatever. And it's really just learning the vocabulary. It's huge. I mean, I have a book on, on the vocabulary of the Wall Street Journal. I have a dictionary on real estate. You know, and you just start to learn the jargon because they love to use it. I don't know why. I don't know why they love to use it so much, but they do. And maybe it makes them look feel smarter or something. But um, I think one of the first steps for women, it's not, I mean, I'm somebody that knew absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing about money or real estate or investing. Um, and I just started learning it on my own and, and making mistakes and asking a lot of stupid questions, which really weren't stupid. Um, but I think overall women make fabulous investors. I think they're natural investors. They tend to uh, be more practical. They nurture their investments. Um, all of my girlfriends who are investors, they're doing very, very well. And once they get into this whole world, they just love it. They just love it. Let's give women some simple steps then, uh, Kim. Let's simplify it. So I assume that step number one is take a look at your current finances. What money is coming, your assets and liability, what money is coming in and what money is going out. What is the second step? The second step, again, it's all education, but the second step is start small. And Robert mentioned this just a little bit, but let me elaborate on it. Start small, whether it be buying a share of stock, buying a gold coin, buying a silver coin, buying a small piece of property. Start small because you're going to, you're, the, the other objection I hear is, I'm so afraid of making mistakes. Well, that's not even an objection because you're going to make mistakes. <laughs> you're going to make mistakes on every, on, as you go through this whole process. So I say start small because you'll, you'll make mistakes, but the other key is put a little money down. You're, it, it's all theory in my mind. It's all theory until you put some money on the line. So approach it from an educational point of view that I am educating myself yes. and I'm, I'm practicing. I'm not becoming a millionaire right now. I'm just yes. practicing and getting comfortable with money. Exactly. You go out and you buy a gold coin and then you go to, to like Kitco on the, on the web, kitco.com, and they show you the price of gold every day and what it's doing. And all of a sudden, when you have a little money on the line, you get so interested in what you put your money into. Now, people don't talk openly about money, and they're, you know, they're not comfortable about it. Where are women going to go to for support in this? Well, there's a lot of women's investment groups, um, if you go to the web or even in your neighborhood. And what I always recommend is for women to get together, because women tend to learn from other women very well. Um, they tend to network very well. I don't recommend getting a group of women together to pool their money to invest together because money is a very psychotic subject. Yes. But come together, talk about your investments, bring in, you know, speakers or people who are investing, um, bring in potential deals that you can talk about and discuss. That's a great learning process for women. And to avoid um, dream killers, because we all know that there are people out there who support you, and some of the people that we love and who love us the most can be dream killers. Yes. So I suppose to, to choose um, carefully who we're going to share our new goals with. Oh, that's a, that's a great point. I'm Robert and I, are, we, we're very goal-oriented, but I never share my goals with, I only share my goals with people I know who will support them. Yes. Um, there's people in my immediate family who I don't talk to about my investments or I don't talk to about money because they don't understand it and they're going to tell me why it's not going to work. Because when you're first starting out, you're vulnerable. You've never done this before. You're trying right. something for the first time. That's right. That's also why I say start small because you want to get some small wins 
So maybe starting with some little investments like yes. in the stock market or investing in coins or something like that. Exactly. I, I know I know women that have gone out and you know bought the big apartment building and then the whole thing was a disaster and they're like, see, I told you it didn't work. Now, uh, what kind of books then should women be reading or, or audio programs to listen to? Uh, well, actually, when it comes to the how-to, any it's, it's the same for men as women. You know, how to buy a piece of real estate, how to buy stocks, how to sell stocks. The how-to is the same, so any books out there on investing, um, different types of investments are good for men and for women. Um, what I love about homeschoolers is you're obviously into education and you're into um, more advanced type or alternative education. There's a lot of good materials. Um, just a little plug, I am coming out with a book for women in investing. Oh, excellent. Which will probably be out uh, later next year. Not till next year. Yeah. And of course, now the cash flow game is not cheap. It's not the price of a board game, but if you approach it as curriculum, financial curriculum, and then we always encourage families to uh, share it. You know, get two or three other families to invest in the game with you, and then uh, play it together and pass it around. Yeah, I, I, what we found out is we did a, a lot of success stories. We did a book on success stories. People have taken the rich dad information and used it. And what we were surprised to find, about 90% of people who have implemented the information and they have portfolios and they're out of debt and they're doing things, they're taking action, play the game regularly. And what, what I also love about the, the homeschoolers is this is a game you can play with your kids. And as you learn investing, you're right there with your kids to teach them as well. And one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah, I think back to the cash flow game is probably a great way to start because it's um, it's not scary. You're not really losing any money, but you're getting comfortable with dealing with the large numbers. Right. You're learning the vocabulary. You're learning strategies, and you're using play money. That's excellent. Kim, let's open up the call and take a question. Okay. Thank you. First question, please, for Kim Kiyosaki. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I can, can hear you. Um, my husband and I are in our 50s, and he hasn't saved in his 401. We really basically haven't saved at all, but we still have mortgage. What would you suggest for people our age as a beginning? And we do homeschool. Okay, Kim, let me repeat that question. Okay. She and her husband are in their 50s, and she's wondering what do you suggest for a beginning? That, uh, they, ha that they have a 401K. Right, right. And I, I never I never give advice in terms of what to do with your 401K. Um, you, you do what you need to do with that. Um, in terms of investing, it's, age is never the issue. It's just a matter of getting out there and talking to people and getting started and getting into some action. I met a gentleman, oh, several months ago. He was about 65 and uh, was retired but didn't have enough money for retirement. And he went out and bought a small duplex that gave him about $1,000 a month cash flow. And then he went out and bought another duplex that gave him about 2000 a month cash flow. So he's got 3000 a month cash flow that he put together in six months. And he had never done that before. He had never bought real estate. Would you recommend the book to that um, No Money Down by Robert Allen as a um, good place to start as well? Yeah, he actually has a book that I that was I like creating wealth even better. Um, we're we're not necessarily No Money Down people. We want our money working for us, and a lot of times No Money Down, you, it's difficult to to get the cash flowing. It's ah. difficult to find cash flow with No Money Down. You also want to be careful on how much debt you're carrying because this is a crazy market right now. So you need yeah. to be a little smarter, a little more careful. But your advice is that uh, they're in their 50s, but it's never too late and certainly better late than never, yes. and that you don't have to necessarily have a lot of money to go out and buy that first property. Absolutely not. No. Okay, that's excellent. I think we have time for one more question. All right. Yes, final question, please, for Robert or for Kim. Okay. okay. I have a question. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, good. 
Um, I, I'm one of those who is very novice and very much a beginner at this, and I invested about $2,800 in a company I strongly believe in. It was at $25 a share. It's now worth almost $50 a share. Okay. That's all I know. <laughs> I know I've been... Go ahead, Kim. So the question is... I'm sorry, I, I went into quiet mode too soon. Um, we couldn't hear your question. Okay. My question is, I, I know I've made money, but now I'm not quite sure. How do I learn what to do with it or whether to do anything with it at all? And, you know, Kim, that's an excellent question, too, because isn't one of your philosophies that you never touch your, your investing nest egg? You don't take that money that you've earned and go spend it on a, on a new house or on a boat or on decorations for the home, but you have to reinvest it? That, that's right. We have a, a rule that any money that goes into our asset column, which is basically our investment column, once we put money into an investment, we might sell that investment, but the money goes into another investment. So I see a lot of people who might buy a, buy a, um, say a, a single family home as a rental and they sell it and then they go pay off their school loan. Um, the problem with that is then they're back to zero. So we say, you know, build up your cash flow, keep investing with your money, keep making that money work for you and then the cash flow from your investments will pay off your school loan or your car loan or your mortgage house. Um, ah, that type of thing. So you use not the investment itself or the appreciation on the investment, but you use the cash flow to pay to decorate your home or to to um, do some of those items that you want to improve your standard of living. Yeah, that, that, and that's a great point, Rebecca, because there, there's a big difference whether you're buying an investment for cash flow, which is what we do, or you're buying an, buying it for capital gains or appreciation. So in this market right now, especially in real estate, a lot of people are buying houses and flipping them for the appreciation. The problem with that, I mean, that's one strategy, but the problem is they have to keep doing it. And if you buy investments for cash flow, you keep building your cash flow, so eventually those properties are just paying you every month where you don't have to work anymore. Boy, this um, interview has been so informative. Um, we're out of time now, so I want to let everyone know that you can click on the link underneath the bio I sent you for Robert and Kim to go over to their sites, or you can go to uh, www.richdad.com or www.richkidsmartkid.com. Lots of great information. You can buy the uh, books and the game from those sites. They're also available from Amazon.com. Uh, I want to also let you know, listeners, that uh, we are recording these calls, and there are two options for getting the recordings. Uh, either one, you can buy the complete 16-CD set for $99, and it comes in a nice uh, leather-carrying case, or for uh, the end of August only, you can go in and hand-select which interview you want. Uh, they're $8 each, and if you purchase 10 or more, we're happy to give you the nice uh, leather carrying case. Uh, feel free to share the expenses with other families and pass them around. Uh, very little profit margin put in this. We just want you to be able to hear these terrific interviews, and, and the more people, the better. So I'm going to open up the call, so uh, feel free to unmute your phone, star six to unmute so that you can say uh, goodbye and thank you to our guests, Robert and Kim Kiyosaki. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you. Thank Keep you. up your good work. Bye. Robert and Kim. Thank you. Bye. Robert and Kim. Thank you. Bye-bye.